This is It's Never Just a Game. I'm Greg Pesci. And I'm NJ Pesci. And welcome back. And welcome to March Madness. I love this time Welcome to March Madness. I don't know. Brackets busted the first day. Yes. Nobody, I mean, who had uh, a 16 seed winning again, Greg? Nope. And uh, I think by definition, we got to call the coach. I was going to say we have to. You know, we got we, the last one. Yeah, we got to call the coach. But the brackets are busted. It's madness. It's crazy. It's how it's supposed to be during yep. March. Glad glad that BYU was in it. Oh, wait a minute. They weren't was in it. it. <laughs> they didn't make it. They didn't even make the NIT. So all those no. University of Utah fans who think that's all we do is talk about the BYU in a positive way. I mean, this is embarrassing. We weren't even asked to the NIT, Greg. No, we weren't asked to the NIT. And I, I will say this much. I actually am a huge fan of Coach Pope. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a great person. Um. And it's not his. I don't think it's his fault. Although I found his latest interview a little disconcerting, which is the one about the NIL. Yeah. Yes. It felt like. Uh, and you know what? I didn't see the whole thing, so I want to be careful. But yeah. it almost felt like he was, like saying, you know, we we just we just can't do this here. And he and he rarely used the word we. He kept saying BYU. I, I think he's just tired. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think that was probably not not his best interview. Yes. Um. Before uh, we, we go any further than that one, just want you all to know we do have a guest this week. We will have Dustin Olson, who's the CEO of Pure Cycle. So that, that interview is coming in a few minutes here. But, yeah, it sounded to me like that was a swan song, Greg. Yeah, it, I, I, it was unsettling to me. I really, really like him, but, but it felt weird. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I did mention last time that he's gone. He'll be, <laughs> no, you he'll be leaving, and uh, <laughs> it's going to happen. I did notice also from the BYU football side of things that the, the starting linebackers, including the friend of the program, Ben Bywater, is, uh, they're all sitting out the spring. Yeah, fine. I think that's smart. Yeah, they're all sitting spring out not to get hurt, and they got Leave a bunch of freshmen. Bywater alone. The yeah. guy can play. He doesn't need to prove anything to you. Exactly. So let's just uh, let him stay healthy. And uh, we're talking practice. So let him just, <laughs> let him just relax on that. So basketball is happening. Um well, let's just get to the interview, Greg. It's been a while since we've had an interview. Why don't we just uh, slide over and talk to Dalston Olson? Let's and by the it. way, before we do that, we have to thank Lee Ellen. We'll mention her, but we have to thank Lee Ellen, who's a faithful listener, who recommended we talk to Dustin. So if you are out there, a faithful listener like Lee Ellen, and you got somebody you want us to do, let us know. Well, it's never just a game. We're very excited to have a guest with us today. We have... Dustin Olson, the CEO of Pure Cycle. And Dustin, I'm to first hello, Dustin. Welcome to our show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Great to have you on. Now I'm going to say what I think Pure Cycle is. And in this conversation, we're going to want you to tell us what it is exactly. But this is what I was able to glean from our conversation previously and from what I can read on the website. So Pure Cycle is a leading plastics recycling company that is on the cutting edge of plastic sustainability. Their process is designed to transform polypropylene plastic waste into a continuously renewable source. How's that? That sounds pretty good, but <laughs> I would probably say it's more like a washing machine for the molecule. Okay. <clears throat> Can't wait to hear that. So we have this. Dustin is on today, Greg, because we have a um, faithful listener who recommended that we talk to Dustin, and that is Lee Ellen. Oh, wow. Who listens every week. And um, she said, you got to talk to Dustin. And we've talked... I guess we talked about a month or so ago, but he has been very busy building plants, meeting with his with his board, and finally have a chance to talk to Dustin. So we're glad that we have you here with us today, Dustin. 
thank you. So tell us, tell us, tell us more about Pure Cycle, so our listeners can understand what it is and and why it is so exciting. Well, there, there's a there's a revolution happening in plastic recycling, and everybody is very interested in it. I mean, when you, when you talk to people on the street, it's hard to find somebody who doesn't care about plastic in the environment. There's lots of different um, takes on other environmental items, but when it comes to plastic waste or trash in the environment, people seeing plastic floating on the ocean, like it's hard to find somebody that doesn't care about that. Right. And so with that new, let's say, awareness or interest in that topic, there's a lot of industry and technologies that are emerging to try to tackle the, the problem. And, there, and there's lots of different really good ideas to do it. Um, there's mechanical recycling, there's chemical recycling, and, and then lots of other fringe advanced recycling type techniques. And, and ours is one of those, okay? So, so we take um, a plastic called the number five or polypropylene, which is the biggest segment of plastics produced in the world. You know, some big numbers are like uh, there's 500 billion pounds of plastic produced every year wow. out of fossil fuels. And about a third of it, let's call it 175 billion pounds a year is polypropylene. And so that's the one we're attacking. And that's okay. the biggest one. Yeah. I, you know, I, I didn't know much about this, honestly, Dustin, and I did some reading to get prepared for this. And um, it, I have to be just really candid with you. I was like, I felt better about my life knowing that you guys were doing this. It's amazing. And I, I, I can't say that I'm an advanced environmentalist. I do, I do worry about, you know, about, you see plastics everywhere and you just know there's just, we got to do something. But to reading, and hopefully you'll be able to explain to us a little bit more about how you do it. I thought, my gosh, there actually is hope in the world. Yeah, I, I, I believe that, I, first of all, I'm, I'm a very optimistic person, and I definitely believe there's reason to be hopeful. Um, I think technology needs to lead the hope, okay? Like, we need to let technology lead us to the solutions as opposed to trying to jam the solutions down on technology. But, but, but yeah, I mean, that's what's so exciting about PureCycle because it's a pure recycling solution, for this plastic waste problem. And, and I, look, the, the best way to describe what we do is we take a um, contaminated plastic and contaminated with food waste or, you know, you know, dirt from the inside of the trash can or whatever, dyes, colors, odors, that's contaminants. Okay. You take that and you, you wash it away. And so a really nice example of how we work is, let, let's say you had salt and pepper and you mixed it together. Well, how are you going to separate the salt from the pepper? Like you could maybe right. go one by one right. with a tweezer to pull it out and separate them out and you get it pretty, pretty well. Or you could dump it all into water. The salt will dissolve. The pepper will float. You sweep the pepper off the top. You've got salty water. And then you boil the water off and you've got pure salt left over. That's effectively what Pure Cycle is doing. That's why I say it's it's like, a, it's like a washing machine for the molecule. <clears throat> a lot of technologies out there, they will be washing the outside of the plastic. But when it comes to inside the plastic to get the dyes, the colors, the odors, the, the fillers, the additive packages that are used to make plastic great, it, 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 it doesn't work. And so what we do is we dissolve the polypropylene and then remove everything else and then remake the polypropylene again and recover it. And we just end up with a 
great product at the end that's easy for the customers to use. It's like a it's like a no compromise solution for the customers. They don't have to change their processes. They don't have to change the way they do things. They just use this as if it was made from fossil fuels, except it's circular. Okay. And it can be recycled over and over and over again. So over and it's fantastic. So um, you can recycle your the stuff that uses pure cycle plastic can be recycled over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things you hear in the industry is this concept called downcycling. Okay. So it's like you you recover plastic and then you melt it all together and you end up with like grayish off-color material. And then it's like, well, go use that in a product. Well, the problem is if it's off-color, you can't make it red, blue, green, yellow, Mm -hmm. clear again. You have to put it into something that's already like dark. Okay. And so then you can't continue to recycle that back into its original product. And so with our product, because we remove all of these contaminants, then it can be reused like new again, which means then it can be used in a circular way over and over and over. So Greg and I spent time at Procter & Gamble. We've talked about it a few times, more than a few times, right, Greg? Yeah. And I did notice on the website that this is part of a global licensing agreement with P&G. So can you tell us about that? Whatever you're allowed to tell us about that, be great. Yeah, so I I have a, a great deal of respect for Procter & Gamble and, and a lot of established companies like this because they have, you know, in a, in a way they started where we were a dec- you know, a century or two ago, and then they've grown into what they are. Um what was interesting about Procter & Gamble is about 10, 12 years ago, they looked around the room and they said, what are we going to do to fix the sustainability problem? So I give them credit. One, they're thinking about it. They're like, we know we need to do something. Right. Let's go solve it. And two, they're like, I don't see anything out there that's good enough to do what we want to do. And so they put a, a, a team of researchers around it. One person in particular, John Lehman, was, was very instrumental in the early concepts of how to think outside the box. And they developed this idea for how to recycle in a novel way. Okay. And then, and, and, and they, and they built the concept. Okay. But, but then I think there was a second moment of brilliance for Procter and Gamble is they looked around their company and they said, do we want to do this? Now they're not a resin making machine. They are a consumer products making machine. So they don't build resin. And they're also not small, nimble, agile at this point. They're bigger and, and, and more established. And so it's difficult for big companies to think entrepreneurially in order to get something like this off the ground. So at that point, they said, you know what we need to do is find a company who will be able to take this where we want it to go a resin producer, an entrepreneurial spirited uh, group that can take it from paper patents to scale. And that's what we've done the last seven, eight years by partnering with Proctor to help further develop the, the technology. And then ultimately working on our own to build the blueprints to scale. And, and that's effectively where we are right now. That's a very interesting story. I think that for our listeners, um, Dustin, sometimes I may skew a little bit to the small business side, um, but I have to say... Just, just a little bit? Just a little. Yeah, I think maybe that's just, just a little. But I will say that I loved working at, at P&G. That, I mean, their products, I, I'm, 
I'm addicted to their products yeah. and I love them. And I do think this is an amazing example of another really good thing that a big company can do. Not only do what they do so well and they're so good at what they do, but also be able to have some of these ideas and, and to develop them with amazing teams that they have and then allow this technology to you know, go into hands of groups like yours that might be able to take it to a different way, to a different size and, and, and a different process. And it's actually really impressive. One of the things that we've talked about a lot on our show is um, sort of the path that people have had in their in their lives to get to where where they are. And to the extent that you're willing to do so, I think it would be great if you'd be able to share with us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be the uh, the head of such a cool company. Yeah, you know, so if you go way back, I was uh, born into a small town. Uh, I had 39 people in my graduating class. Okay. Um, very small town in Southern Illinois. Everybody knew everybody. And, um, you know, I, I, I counterpose that to kind of where I live now and wonder which is better for my kids. You know, small town gets to do everything versus big school that lets you do anything you want. Uh, but I grew up in the small town, kind of out in the country. Uh, a lot of my family were farmers and and uh, so I think I got a lot of work ethic and let's say humble grounding back at, in those days. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, my, my mom went to school to be a hygienist, so a two-year program. I, my dad didn't go to college, but he's, he's brilliant. Um, so I was like the first in my family to go get a four-year degree. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. The only thing that I knew is when I, I was watching a, a sitcom on TV and there was this, this guy living with three people and they, they, the three engineers, and they hit a button from the couch, and a soda came from the fridge to the couch. I'm like, <laughs> dude, that's pretty cool. Like, I want to do that. And so that, that gave me the instinct to go toward engineering, and, and I like math and science and so forth. So when I went to school, I, I didn't know I was going to be successful. You know, I didn't have the best um, GPA or the best uh, standardized placement scores. They were good. But I had hard work. I had I had a work ethic that was quite good, and, I, and maybe I had a healthy fear of failure. Like I'm not going to fail, so I'm going to work harder. And so those first years at college, I really pounded the books hard and uh, found success. And and I think that that success led to confidence, and then led to other things. And um, there were a couple of moments in my life where people were like, ah, "I don't think you're quite ready for it." And then I went back the next day and said come on, man, I want to do it. Like, I want to try. And, and, and when that happened, it led to some nice successes. And so I think that built a bit of a go get it done type attitude. Uh, I, I went to work at an oil refinery straight out of college. It was so a place. Dustin, before you, what was your degree actually? What? Yeah, I got a degree in chemical engineering. Chemical. Okay. Well, it's not easy yeah. by the way. Not that's yeah. not easy. No, that stuff scared me. Yeah. So yeah, well, chemical engineering. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was I was trying to find that ultimately I found a chemistry professor that was really good and they they kind of put that's me great this way. that's awesome um, yeah I look and then my career went and and I've I've just I've been a bit of a jack of all trades so I I, inter- in, I interrupted you you went, went to an oil refinery tell us about that yeah so I I went to an oil refinery um, it was a joint venture I had I had offers from some of the big ones but I decided not to do that because I felt like I could define my own career path through the smaller company. And I went and um, that afforded me a tremendous uh, educational process. I, I worked in, you know, refining, where you make gasoline, kerosene, and diesel. 
I worked in olefins where you make ethylene and propylene, which is the precursor for plastic. Yeah. I worked in polypropylene oxide. I worked in uh, polypropylene compounding. I got to work in Europe for three years. I got to work in China for four years. Where, you know, where, I, I really got to touch a lot of different aspects of the industry, which gave me a good foundation for this current role. Yes, it would. So where did you live in uh, in Europe? We, I, I lived in the, in the Netherlands. Okay. In a small town called Forburg, which is outside of Den Haag. Great place. Awesome. And China? Shanghai. Okay. So <clears throat> obviously your experiences have prepared you for this. And since you work with polypropylene, the chances of uh, Greg and I being asked to leave Pure Cycle. <laughs> Probably pretty low, yeah. since we don't have any of that technical experience. And and by the way, I, I would join your club, and, and I didn't know what I was doing either and know what to do and didn't excel until I really did. So Greg and I talk about the fact that there are universities that we're associated with today that have um, a GPA requirement and other things that would make it prohibitive for me at least to get back into it. I couldn't get into it today. That got it back when the getting was good. I'm a little concerned about the fact that it's all almost one-dimensional. We need a couple of C students that like to, to do other right. things well, to show it, up and, it helps and be part with, of it. It helps with the curve, It's too. diversity. That's how I would get in uh, today. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Want to reinforce how you feel about yourself. They let me in, so that would be good. But all of that is, is in preparation for what you're going to go do next, which is a wonderful thing. It's really a nice thing to be able to say the stuff I did mattered. And conversations that we have with people, <clears throat> uh, younger people coming through organizations, and we tell them it's not often important to have a title as much as it is to have experiences that will that, that will have you well-rounded and prepared for what you might do next. So looking for those opportunities, a chance to learn something new and different, a chance to try something new, not just say, I've got to have this, this you know, title kind of thing. I have to be a vice president today and say, vice president of what? So all of those things preparing you. So, Yeah, I would tell you that throughout my career, there have been multiple times where I have turned down promotions in order to lateral into something that I felt like would help develop me. Right. And th there was one moment where I, I was, I was offered this job and I said, I don't think that's right for me right now. I want to do a different path. And that path led me downtown to work in a corporate role Then it led me to Europe. And then I came back into a commercial role. And then at the end of the commercial, I said, well, I want you, I, wa I want you to take that job we offered you six years ago now. And I'm like, what did I do? Like right. I lost like, six years. I could have been there six years. But what I found was that diversion to develop the skill sets around me uh, better prepared me for that role. And ultimately then I was more successful in that role. And that allowed me then to get, you know, more and more advancement down the road because I had taken that extra time to really ground. So, so I, I, a question about, um, by your company today um, and that, and this is really fundamental. So forgive me for this, Dustin, but like who are your customers? So polypropylene is used everywhere. Yep. Okay. So you can put polypropylene into a bumper. You can put it into carpet. You can put it into food packaging. Wow. You can put it into construction into ag into furniture into shoes into clothing. You name it. It's everywhere. Okay. So, so, Polypropylene is the most versatile plastic in the world, and it's used as such. Our product can go where it goes. It's, it's, a, it's a no compromise solution for the customers. And so, you know, there, there are big companies like Procter & Gamble that will use it across the board. You know, they make 
you know, they make razors and they make shampoo bottles and they make diapers and all sorts of different things that our product can push into. Uh, but then there's, 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 there's other companies also out there in, in the automotive space where they want a product like ours that they can put on the inside of a car because it's a sustainable product that has a very low odor that is easy for them to use. And so really anywhere that polypropylene goes, so goes our product. And I would say the customers that we target are those customers who have a brand interest in being sustainable yeah. or a brand interest in embracing the, let's say the environmental movement, because not, not everybody does. Not everybody wants to use sustainable products in their goods. Everybody will say it, but not everybody does. Right. Um, so I would say that anybody who uses polypropylene, anybody who has a market for the sustainable, those are our customers. Which is fantastic. We're going to get to the Bengals in a second, but um, do you think then people would say, people will say, people will market their businesses and say, this made with pure cycle plastic? That's it, our goal. That's what, that's what we're hoping for here. That you, say that, and you have to understand what it is to recognize yeah. that this is different than using a regular regular plastic that hasn't gone through this process. So uh, you're, you're, you, you need, does the product need your pure cycle need someone to make polypropylene plastic for you in order to, for you to recycle at that? If what happens if they stop making those things, it doesn't sound like they can given the, the ubiquitousness of the. Well, molecule. yeah, I mean, look, 500 billion pounds per year of plastic yeah. produced globally, <laughs> 175 polypropylene. You know, our plant in, in Ironton, Ohio is, is 107 million pounds a year. So it's a drop in the bucket. Wow. What makes our company so exciting is that people can naturally translate this technology around the world into their neighborhood. Because, because imagine, imagine the oil industry originally. It was find oil, make oil, build industry around it, ship stuff out around the world to be used and then thrown away. So you got these ecosystems of industry around the oil supply chain. Well, in our case, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, good, we did that once. Now let's go build a pure cycle plant where people are using the product so that now that product can be turned around okay. in that smaller supply chain. Yep. So every nation in the world can look at our technology and say, why can't I build that here? Then I don't have to import polypropylene or oil or whatever into my nation. I can just use what I've used. And if I do a good enough job cleaning the product at the molecular level, then it can be used ubiquitously or fully as a full replacement to the virgin equivalent. So, so you're, you're, almost maybe i misunderstood this but it almost sounds like you have the possibility of building kind of lo sort of localized ecosystems where, where people can do this all over the world yeah so i would say that there is scale in building cluster facilities bigger facilities the, the, the roads cost less this the utilities cost less the infrastructure you need to do this facility is spread out across more pounds okay but for sure, that concept can be applied to different nations around the world. Mm. So we've had good success with a company in South Korea called SK Geocentric. We've had good success with a company in Japan called Mitsui. And the concept is go build this facility in that place because they make polypropylene waste and we can purify it 
and make a good, sustainable product out of that Korean waste cycle. It's fantastic. Now, that is important globally, whether it's in Korea or Japan or in the Netherlands. <clears throat> but those countries compare to this, those, those countries pale in comparison to the Cincinnati Bengals. So <laughs> sure. I, I, did, I did read on the website. So, so this podcast, It's Never Just a Game, is about life, business, and sports. And it's really very interesting to us. Greg has another company that works with uh, sporting companies. So anything that touches on that is very interesting to us. And the fact that you're doing work now with hospitals, schools, and sports franchises, when you think about it, and, and uh, for our listeners, it's at the end of a game, when it's done in a stadium, there have to be, I don't know what the poundage is, of plastic cups on the ground from the day game. You know, it's, it's the game day cup that you have that has whatever logo or thing they put on it. And you guys are now working with sports franchises to help them recycle. Tell us about the Bengals and how that started and what you're doing with them. Yeah, so we have a program called Pure Zero. And the concept of Pure Zero is to take waste from an event and recycle it, and then ultimately use our product to make their products again and to create like a really nice micro circularity. Right. Okay. And, and we've done this across several teams. The Bengals, uh, for sure, have been uh, really, really fantastic partners because they have a heart for doing it the right way. But what we've learned is that by partnering with these organizations, it becomes more of an educational process than it does actually a you know, plastic recycling process. We'll still do the plastic recycling to get that flow. The, the poundage is actually less than what you would think, okay. but, still, but still important, okay? But, but more important than that is our ability to educate them on how to position their products more effectively. So for instance, if I've got a fork made out of polyethylene, a knife made out of nylon, and a spoon made out of polypropylene, like I, this is an exaggeration, but you know, I've got three different types of plastic going into the plastic recycling bin. Right. That makes it more challenging to recycle. So why not just buy all polypropylene? Right. Same thing with a nacho tray and the cup and the whatever else is made there. Why not just choose a monoplastic that we can use so that it makes the, the recycling easier. Something as simple as that. Right. And, and, and people just don't think about it. And when they look at the cost of transitioning, it's not that much money. Okay. Like, it might be like, I don't know, a, a few hundred bucks a year or something for a stadium or, or maybe a thousand. I mean, it's de minimis relative to the event, but it has a big impact on the overall recyclability of their streams. And so as we partner with these different, these different groups, like it, it's really nice because people love their sports team. They love their Bengals. They love their, the team they go see every weekend. And if also then they can learn a little bit about recycling or at least feel good about them yeah. doing something positive and seeing how it creates, it creates the, the circularity. Like it's a great educational process for the, 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 the attendees as well. So, so like our concept with pure zero is, Sports has got such an important role in our society to influence people to do the right things. And so, so, so companies like programs like the, the Cincinnati Bengals are doing it to, to do it the right way for the right reasons, and they're teaching people about it. Quite frankly, I think that this program can really 
expand beyond sports. Okay. You can, you can go talk to a school district about, Hey, why are you making, why don't you make it out of the same plastic? You could go talk to a small community. You could go talk to an airport. You could talk to a country. Okay. A country that has control over the supply chain for their, you know, for, for their citizens, like, convince them to convert to polypropylene because that is more recyclable. That is more usable. And, and so we're just getting started with our Pure Zero program, but we are super excited about where it can go. That sounds great. Um, some of our um, younger listeners have told us over time that they're, especially when we were lucky enough to get a CEO like you on the show, that they'd like to know a little bit about what is it, what is it that you look for when you are you know, thinking about bringing people onto your team what are the kinds of things that, uh, not just skills necessarily, you know, the type of schooling, but the kind of attributes and characteristics that you look for when you're looking to hire someone? And wonder if you might be able to share that with us. Uh, yeah, so, so you have to have the uh, prerequisite skill set, okay? You've got to have the, the right degree or the right experience um, to, to do the job. That's like... That's like a status quo. You, you, that's table stakes. You've got to have that. But, but then there are a lot of intangibles that you have to, to dig into. I, I would say, um, look, I, I would say work ethic is like high. Okay. Like you just got to be willing to work. Okay. Like there's, there's a lot of really smart people and the, the ones that are the most successful are the, 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 the smart people who work really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of smart people that get passed by, uh, by people who just work really hard. They just work their tails off because they have this desire to, to be successful. So I think work ethic is, is very, very high on the list. Um, I think humble is also high. We have a, uh, kind of, a um, we have a saying inside our company, uh, which is uh, leave ego at the door. Like, I don't care who you are. Um, you have no right to treat people poorly. You have no right to lord over people. And the moment that you forget that you put your pants on one leg at a time, you're on the downhill slide. And so leaving ego at the door is just a, that one is really personal to me. Okay. Uh, I, 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 feel, I, I look for that personally. Um, so, so work ethic, being humble. I think there's also a, a likability piece. So sometimes people forget this, but you know, people like to work with people that they enjoy. And so right. if you're, if yep. you're not a nice person, it's going to be harder for others to work with you. So look, there, you gotta, you, you gotta get the grades. You gotta get the, the right degree, but then when you get there, it's about working hard, being humble, and being likable. And I think that those intangibles then open the door for you to really grow and, and listen and, and learn. I, I would say uh, maybe one last thing is it's a, and this I think ties into being humble. You've got to be willing to learn. No matter what you think you know, no matter how good you think you are, you can be better. Okay. So, so no, no judgment on where you are, but there's no question you can be better if you're willing to keep your ears open. And so I, I think a willingness and ability to learn and adapt, being humble, being kind, 
yeah. and working hard, that, those are the critical ingredients for me in success. And that sounds like it would, the making of a great team. Um, on more than one occasion, we're talking about people, and that was at Procter & Gamble doing some leadership development training. People would say, occasionally someone would say, I'm a different person at home than I am at work. And, um, and I would say to them, well, whichever one of those is nicer, bring that one to work. Because we don't, this isn't, you know, we're here all day with everyone. So, Dustin. I, I, not to, not to jump in there, yeah. but we have another phrase at our company where we say, you do you. Yeah. Now, yeah. I really don't want to have to fit into a specific mold when I go to work. I just want to be me. Yes. And, and, and I would say to that individual, if you have to be somebody different at work, then you're probably at the wrong spot. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> so, um, now, how long now have you been the CEO of PureCycle? Since August of last year. Okay. I've worked for the company for over two years now, but since August of last year, I, I stepped into the that's, that's perfect because you have a chance to see things a new and different way. What is or what are one or two things that you learned or discovered after you became CEO that really was enlightening to you? The stuff that either you didn't expect it or this was a, a great revelation so I, I okay. So um, I think it gets back to uh, the original conversation around um, preparation. Okay, I don't have time to think or to prepare for th- some things that I have to do. Okay, mm-hmm. so you have to have natural, I would say, experience doing certain things that enable you to do them without a lot of effort. Okay. So I would say that having the right experience base to do what you do um, is really important. You just, the time is just, time just evaporates. And so like, if I didn't know polypropylene or projects or the industry or um, how to do some of the things that we do, I would have to learn it. And I'm sure that we could get there with time, but if you don't have that coming out of the gate, you don't move fast enough. So I think having the right foundation is really important. I think the other thing, and I felt this from time to time in my career. I I, I always, I always believe you have to help the people on your team get to where they want to go. Okay. And and that might be with your company. It might be with a different company. Right. Like I, Honestly, I don't care. I, I want people to be happy and to do what they want. And so my goal has always been to help them be successful, um, help them get to where they want to go. But I would say that since I've moved into this seat, I have an intense feeling of responsibility to people. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like yes. I have to steward this company the right way to ensure that we get to where we want to go. Um, I, I, I have to, I have to do that. And so that, that I would say those two things have really opened my, sometimes I wake up, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't have time to prepare for any of this. Okay. Let's see. And you hope you're good enough. So I think foundation got me there, but man, there are day, there are nights that I lie awake thinking about how do I ensure that we build something with a solid foundation so that we have something, so we're responsible to our employees as well. 
you know, just listening to you, I mean, we can feel the sort of excitement and positivity that you have. This is me seeing like a somewhat trite question, but I still want to ask you this. People always say, you know, want to eventually become a CEO of, of something and, and they get there and you're there. And, and I'll so ask you this question. What do you like about it? Um, I feel like this particular role has is something that I've been building to my entire career in terms of skill set development. So it's nice to see um, kind of an opportunity to put all the different skills to use. I think that what I like most about the job is getting to see kind of all aspects of the business. Okay. I, I think just having exposure to, you know, departments or divisions that you wouldn't necessarily be as, as, in, as, as engaged with, I, I find that really rewarding because like the puzzle, the, the professional puzzle becomes more clear and you get to see the whole, the whole thing. Uh, so I would say that's probably the single most exciting part of it is just having a, a more well-rounded view of what the overall institution is doing. Fantastic. Today on It's Never Just a Game, we have Dustin Olson, the CEO of Pure Cycle, which is a leading plastics recycling company. Dustin, thank you for taking the time with us today. It's a fantastic story. Sometime offline, we're going to connect again. I have a million questions about the process itself, what happens to the to the water in the process. I know it comes out as a pellet. We have a lot of, having worked in manufacturing, Greg and I have a lot of questions probably about that, but we don't want to bore the rest of the audience with uh, what our desire was. What we wanted them to get is what they got today, which was hearing about your career, talking about your company, and the things that you've learned and the lessons that um, they can take and maybe apply in their own lives. So thank you so much for taking the time. We wish you and Pure Cycle the best of luck. We thank Lee Ellen again for connecting us. That was fantastic. But And, and I know you've got some board stuff to do, so... Best of luck with that as well today. But thank you for coming on, Dustin. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. That was a very enjoyable interview. I got to tell you, for me, I don't know a lot about, I didn't come into this interview knowing a lot about how you handle these types of uh, materials, but um, I, I thought it was hopeful. Yeah. Another great guy, wonderful for us to talk to uh, these CEOs and uh, listen to what it is that they're facing as they do this. And this is a pretty important thing. I know I always joke about uh, my salmon being sustainable, (laughs) but if you can take polypropylene plastics and make them odorless and colorless and you can use them forever, that's that's sustainability for me, Greg. That counts. That would qualify. Absolutely. And I think it's an example of what we need to do in most of our environmental challenges and that's to figure out a way to innovate our way out of it yeah, as much as possible. Absolutely. And <clears throat> what I liked about this guy is this is a, uh, Dustin is small town guy, as he mentioned, and he just worked hard, Greg. He worked hard. He said, uh, you know, going into things, he wasn't sure that he had the best grades and the best test scores coming out of high school, but um, he worked hard and he put his, head down the first couple of years there at school and made sure that he uh, figured that out. So that was pretty impressive. You could, you could tell that he's a hard worker and you could tell that I think it was one of your questions um, when he responded to it, that that's what he values in people as well. Yeah, he does. And the other thing, Greg, is that when we were talking to him about career stuff, we had the conversation about how you need to consider skills more than titles 
opportunities to grow those things. And, and he kept saying stuff like, hey, I know I'm not ready for these things, but I want to try them. Give me a chance to try those things. And, that's, and people will. And you get a shot then. And you either do it or you don't. And he did. I mean, this is a lot of times younger people, when we were developing them or had a chance to develop them, you put them in a thing that's levels above where they're supposed to be. And they rise to that thing. And, and they learn from that stuff. And this is what, what he did for sure. He said, let me but try you know, stuff even when I'm not ready. But you know what he did? He asked. Yeah, he did. He, he did. He asked. And I think people have to remember that. If you want a chance, you got to ask. You may not always get it, but you're never going to get it if you don't ask. Yeah. And then when you get an opportunity, I know we've talked about this in the past. Some people say yes. Even when the answer is no, they've never done this before. The great yeah. Barry Tompkins, when they asked him, Hey, yes, have you that. done boxing? He said, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> what do I know? He said, there's a right hand and a left hand. That's all I know. And becomes a Hall of Fame broadcaster in boxing. I mean, I, I can't, I personally don't think about the Olympics and boxing without thinking about Barry Tompkins. I don't either. Yeah, I mean, so, but he didn't know how to do it. He no. didn't know. He, he took the chance. I, I like that part. Um, and he, he, he said that he took like a diversion during the course of his career to do things that would give him skill sets. It wouldn't be the natural, normal thing you would do next so that he could learn those things. And we try to emphasize this for all y'all who are listening, who are thinking about these things. I was talking to someone today about a career. Did you just say I said all y'all because Tennessee time. Go Vols. Mother of Moses. Tennessee beat Duke. Duke. They did. One of them them royal families of the basketball time to beat Duke. And um. I was talking to this person who was basically telling me that she's set for her career because she has a job and she's finishing her master's. So she's set? <laughs> that's what she told me. And I, I think you're not. Yeah, but even if that's good, that's, I mean, it's great. But I'm, telling you, I'm talking to people who are in their 60s about things they want to do with their career, Greg. And you should be. And if you're in your 20s and think that you have a master's degree and you pretty much said you don't need any other, other advice on career, that was a little stunning to me. Well, I think you're probably going to have a few experiences that's going to change that thing yeah. soon. And I, and, I, and and for Dust, this stuff keeps growing for him. This is going to become potentially huge. I mean, I think it's really early for them right now. But the direction, and, the, and do you hear how excited he was? Yeah. I mean, the chance to work with, and the, and the stuff he does with the Bengals and the other sports teams, I guess it's not really a big part of their business, but it's exciting. And, you know, you can pop it up on the screen and say, we do this with the Bengals. Like, and he gets, he gets people to listen to what you're talking about. What was our guy, Greg? Core, Core Solutions, Core. What was his name? Core. Um, yeah, it was Core. Matthew, just Core? It was Matt, it was Matt uh, Siebel. Siebel. Was it just called Core? Yeah, it's Core. Yeah. K-O-R-E. Yes, when he said, uh, you know, we're the Dallas Cowboys and we want you to do this for free. He's like, no, thanks, man. We're not doing it for free. But. Getting the New York Jets to do with them changed everything. There's a yeah, lot of yeah. visibility to that. You know that as your as your Pesci Sports is doing some stuff in the Premier League. The more teams that get to hear about you doing this stuff, the more it grows. I mean, having somebody in the bank, and so having these guys do stuff with the Bengals and the rest of them, it's a high pro- high profile thing to do. It also just says, hey, every day you think, how do I affect the world with polypropylene plastics? At a football or basketball game, you definitely know because you put those cups down on the ground or you throw them into the recycle. Yeah, that's exactly. a lot of cups, man. It's a lot of cups. Tons. Tons of stuff. So I think very exciting stuff for, for, for Dustin and for 
Pure Cycle. Happy and grateful once again that Lee Allen gave us his name. So shout out for the 50th time to her on this episode. Thank you for listening. I want to remind everybody else, you can find us on Instagram at It's Never Just a Game, on Facebook at It's Never Just a Game, and in JAG uh, on Twitter. It was good to have a guest again, Greg. It was. It was fun. This is It's Never Just a Game. I'm Greg Pesci. And I'm NJ Pesci. And we'll see you next week.